as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And if we sound a little bit different today, it's because we're in the same room. Oh my god. (laughs) So this is the first time Audrey and I have seen each other since December when we said goodbye in Sweden. And the day that we said goodbye was the day that we, the podcast was born. So, it's a big deal. Our podcast is about 10 months old. Yeah. The idea, the idea. Yeah, it's been festering and being fertilized for 10 months. (laughs) Um, This doesn't even feel like we're recording. It feels like we're just talking. Is this how people feel like when they podcast, when they're together all the time? Yeah, when they're actually friends with the person they're (laughs) Um, But today, we are together because we are in Boston for... 2019 LeakyCon. LeakyCon 10. Yeah, LeakyCon 10. It's the 10th anniversary, so we're very excited to be, to really feel like a part of, like, the Potter community tomorrow, because this is the first time, or the first thing that I've done anything with Potter, other than, like, going to Universal since probably, like, the midnight release of the seventh movie, you know, like, being around, like, Potter fans and Mm -hmm. feeling the Potter vibes. Yeah, we didn't even really feel that, like, at the Fantastic Beasts minute release, I don't think. Yeah, because, like, not, people weren't really dressed up. Mm -hmm. So, I'm so excited. We've been counting down to this day since, like, June now, I feel like. June or July when we bought tickets, so. But today we're going to do that episode that we've been talking about now for the past, like, two months, and we're answering listener questions um, just about this series, and we're trying to help people understand things a little bit better, or at least see where we're coming from on some things. We are not claiming that everything we say is totally true and totally canon. Some of these are going to be our opinions, but. I do have a copy of Deathly Hallows open next to me. Um, setting the scene before I get started, we are drinking some Cosmopolitans. Yep. Um, which we both had never had Cosmopolitans before. Again, we are of age. Um, and the reason we are drinking Cosmopolitans is because, if you'll remember, the fun little segment we do at the (laughs) end of my, my segment at the end of the episodes... Where we talk about the 50 amazing cocktails inspired by Harry Potter and the ones that go with the character of that episode. Well, Fleur de la Cour's drink is a cosmopolitan. So we decided to make that because we flipped through the whole book and we weren't super into many of them. <laughs> I don't know. If you've ever had a cosmopolitan, you know Just what we're talking that, about. Yeah. It's like kind of pinkish red. And... The page says, we're pretty sure that this is the perfect drink for Fleur. Classy it may be, perhaps even a little snobbish, but pretty tasty nonetheless. I would agree. I think they're pretty pretty classy sitting on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I think they're pretty tasty, too. And I think later we're going to try and make some butter beer. Are we going to do that while we're podcasting? We might take an intermission. Okay. But yeah, we're excited for this episode, and I hope you guys are, too. So we are going to be sending everybody who sent in questions buttons and then our two winners we actually decided to do two they're going to be alex who 
originally emailed us with the idea for this episode and she did send us some more questions on Instagram. So thank you so much for sending those in. We really appreciate it. And then Lisa, she sent us a question on Twitter. Um, so if you two will probably contact you on Instagram, uh, maybe we'll contact Lisa, you on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and you can, if you could like DM us your addresses and we'll send you some wizard studies buttons and the two, um, prizes that we have for you. Should we say what the prizes are? Sure. <laughs> so they're like the Harry that we sent out earlier. If you remember seeing that, they're like pop figurines, pop vinyls from like the mystery boxes. Um, we have two crumbs, so you guys will each be getting a Victor Crumb figurine. I think he's pretty cute. He's got on one of those like fur hat things. Like he's he has dressed a mustache. Yeah, he, beard. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's dressed like he when he shows up to Hogwarts. So yeah, very exciting. Thank you. To everybody who sent in questions. All right. First question. Um, Alex, this one's the first first set are going to come from Alex. And we have, why can't Harry see Thestrals for some time after Cedric's death? You want to take this? You want me to take this? Sure. Um, so I believe JK has come out and answered this, or she's at least alluded to this through saying something along these lines that... People can't see fast rolls until they've processed the grief that they felt over the death of the person that they saw die. I don't know if that sentence really made sense, but basically the reason Harry can't see the fast rolls going home at the end of the fourth book is because he hasn't fully processed Cedric's death. It hasn't really sunk in yet. It's very raw and very new, and he hasn't started the grieving process yet. Um, so that's kind of the answer that JK has provided us with, that to see the Thestrals, you must have grieved a person that you saw d die. Um, I don't really know how that goes for, like, seeing random people on the street die, like, seeing somebody you don't know. I don't know if that affects how you see Thestrals, because if you have to, like, mm. process their death and grieve them, I don't know if you would grieve somebody you don't know. Yeah, but. I think it has to be, like, a meaningful death to you. So, like, Quirrell dying mm. in um, Sorcerer's Stone. Harry didn't go through a grieving process. Well, I don't think he even technically saw, saw him, him die, die, but yeah, yeah. So. so, yeah. But, like, the examples we have of people being able to see them, like, Luna has gone through... Like, it, she saw her mother die and went through the grieving process. Yeah, and process. it's, like, accepted like, obviously, that like, moved on. Like, her mother is, like, a close person. And then Neville's grandfather. Father, I believe, yeah. So, like, they're very, like, close relations. So I would assume that has something to do with, like, someone being equal to you. Yeah, and then Hagrid can see them as well, right? Yeah, because how else would he... Yeah, I wonder them? if he saw his father die. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense, yeah. So, the next question... Oh, my God, Katie, that was a great um, segue. I didn't even plan that. You're talking to yourself. <laughs> talking to myself. I'm talking about myself in third person. Why didn't Hagrid get reinstated as a student after it came out that he wasn't the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets and caused Myrtle to die? So what are your thoughts? First, I think it didn't come out that Hagrid wasn't... the. It wasn't fully convincing that Hagrid wasn't the one that did it until the diary in Chamber of Secrets, right? 
in the book Chamber of Secrets. I, like, I get, I understand what you're saying. Like, we weren't for sure. Like, nobody knew who opened the Chamber of Secrets still. Dumbledore just was adamant that it wasn't him. But I'm shocked that he was able to get released from Azkaban, but not get reinstated. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the harder of those two things would be getting out of prison as opposed to re-enrolling in school. But I think Dumbledore vouched for him, and the only... He could only go so far as to be, like, he should be, like, a free man. Yeah. But he couldn't get him the full rights of being a wizard, like, owning yeah. a wand and learning magic and stuff like that. Yeah. My bigger question, which <clears throat> springs off of this, is, like, why didn't, when Harry showed that it wasn't him for sure, why didn't he get, at least get, like, a wand? Or an apology or, or an something. an apology yeah. or, like, like, rights to be a wizard. But I yeah. wonder if you can get, like... If you can be allowed to ha- be an adult that, like, has a wand if you haven't Been gone trained. through schooling. I mean, he would for sure have to go back to Hogwarts, I think. I think he. I think they would make him do that because you think, like, you get your wand when you're 11, but that's only to be used at Hogwarts. I wonder if Hagrid being a half-giant affected their decision at all and whether they were like, okay, fine, we can let him out of jail because we don't think he's the one who actually did this, but, like, we're going to still be prejudiced enough to not let him go back to Hogwarts and, like, be a full wizard because he's not, like, a full... He's a half-breed, basically. Right, yeah. I wonder if that was some of the thinking as well. And, like, giants aren't allowed to have um, wands, so, like... Like, giants don't have wands, so they probably just use that reasoning. Yeah. I wonder if that was that. Although... Who knows that he's a half-giant at that point? I don't know. You know, because it's a big controversy when everyone finds out. Yeah. And, like, Fudge even says something, like, towards the end of four. No, maybe when when he's talking about Madame Maxine and she's like, oh, I bet it was Madame Maxine. Like, she, like, um, when they were talking about Barty Crouch Mm -hmm. and how he, like, disappeared, he was like, oh, they're right by the Boba Tun's, like, carriage. I bet it was her. And he's just being, like, very prejudiced because she's a half-giant. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that everyone in the ministry, not everyone, most people in the ministry are prejudiced. Yeah. Especially, like, the upper-level leadership of it. Yeah. So I feel like that definitely had an effect. Yeah, and then I wonder even if Hagrid would have wanted to to go through the trouble of going back to Hogwarts after Chamber of Secrets happened. Mm -hmm. You know, like, at that point, he's, what, in his 50s? Yeah. Older than that? And I feel Older like, than that, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's 60s. in his 60s or 70s because Tom or Voldemort's like 70-something when he died. Yeah, well, it was, it was 50 years ago when the Chamber of Secrets 13, was reopened. So, so he was 63. 63. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if that point, if it was also just like he's lived most of his life like this at mm-hmm. Hogwarts, you know. And he still uses his umbrella, too. I know he's not supposed to, but he probably is just like, I can just use that when I need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, next question. Where do wizarding families' children go to school before age 11? It can't be muggle schools as they don't know much about the muggle world. This is a very debated question. Yeah, I mean, my thinking has always been they either go to muggle preschools. Because some parents, like, obviously the parents that we see most are Molly and Arthur. And both of them are, like, both of them are wizards. Both of them are purebloods. And so both of them grew up with, like, no muggle interaction, basically. Mm -hmm. But I could see, like, most kids, number one, being half-bloods. And then, like, one parent growing up in the muggle world or or being non-magical at all. 
mm-hmm. like in them just going to preschool. Yeah. Or, I think a lot of them are just homeschooled, though. Yeah, that was going to be my other thing. But the only thing with that is, like, that basically means that one spouse has to be unemployed for the first 10 years of all of their children's lives. Well, there could be, like, daycare. Yeah. That we just don't know, know about. about. Because, I mean, we know that Molly didn't have a job, so that doesn't really yeah work. And, like... Luna's dad kind of works from home. And I think so did her mom, from what yeah. I understood. I mean, Cedric's dad worked at the ministry. I don't know. Yeah. We don't know what we his, don't his know mom, his mom did, yeah. So, but I wouldn't put it past, like, there being some sort of, like, daycare type thing. And, like, it's not school just because, like, the only thing that wizards feel like they need to teach is magic. And they're not going to teach magic to, like, six-year-olds, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what everybody always says, like, how do kids know how to write when they go to Hogwarts if they don't teach? It's like, well, obviously they learn it, learned it before. Like, you're not going to live to the age of 11 in, like, modern-day England, basically, and not know how to write. Like, somebody's got to teach them, whether it's their parents yeah. or they go to, like, some sort of primary school. Yeah. We just never really hear about it. We always... But we don't, like, hear Ron really talk about before Hogwarts anyway. We hear him talk about, like, the bedtime stories and, like, you know, like, Coming at up with his things. brothers. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like they definitely don't go to muggle school if they're purebloods. Yeah. Maybe not even, like, I don't think Harry would have gone to muggle school. I don't think so either. Well, because he, I, I think, think Lily would have, like, taught, like, because I feel like she values learning. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, neither of them had a job. Well, they couldn't really. <laughs> yeah. But, like, at that point, I don't... First off, the Potters were very well set. Neither of them had to work. So I could see Lily choosing to yeah. stay at home. I couldn't see James choosing to stay at home. And I think he'd be an order. Yeah. Well, okay, also, though, the reason that they are so rich... This was a question, but since it's come up... Oh, yeah. Um, is that they... James's family, like the Potters generations ago, invented Sleek Easy hair potion, which is the stuff that Hermione uses um, for the Yule Ball. So they just made like a shit ton of money off of that. Yeah. And that's why they're so loaded. Yeah. Historians credit Linfred as the originator of a number of remedies that evolved into potions still used to this day, including Skelligro and the Pepperup potion. Oh, Skelligro, the one that they give him. Yeah. Did Harry know all of this? No. I don't know how he did it. Wait, so is it not? It is Sleek Easy. Yeah, it's Sleek Easy as, as, sleek easy as well, but I think that's Fleamont, so it's like somebody uh, different. But basically, his family just like created potions that were then monetized and sold. And I guess, I guess the Wizarding World has like a form of like patents and copyrights and stuff, so like they're getting royalties for these things does that mean they're like the potters are like the wizarding world equivalent of like betty crocker betty crocker what they didn't make food i know but like i was gonna say like pharma because like pepper potion is a drug and like or like cosmetics yeah i was thinking more like what was the other one you said pepper up skeleton that's like pharma yeah they're basically like (laughs) band-aid <laughs> like the jo- Johnson and Johnson. There you go. That's what they're like. It's a cleaning company. Yeah, but Johnson and Johnson owns like I guess. I think they own Band-Aid. 
Anyways, the last question from Alex is, why did Dumbledore allow Harry to grow up with the Dursleys and basically be emotionally and maybe physically abused his whole life? Okay. So, Dumbledore was all about that love magic. And Harry essentially had to grow up with the Dursleys in order for his mother's sacrifice to keep working. So that's like the blood magic that she bestilled upon him and when she sacrificed her life for him um, and dove in front of the killing curse. And then this means that she ha- Harry had to live with the Dursleys because... Is it because he had to live with um, like a relation or because he had to live with someone who had who shared her blood? I feel like it's always been said, like, a relation. But I think but it's I, shared her blood. Yeah, I think it has to be. Like, it just makes sense for it to be shared blood because it is blood magic, you know? Because if the Potter grandparents had been alive, I don't think that the the magic would have transferred to them. Oh, that's a fun hypothetical. If James's parents were yeah. alive, would Dumbledore still have made him live with the Dursleys? I think Dumbledore would have because he was so all about that blood magic. I know, but that's terrible. Like, I don't think the grandparents would have allowed that. And I think Dumbledore would have honored their wishes. Like, yeah, I think Dumbledore true. would have done a thing where he would go and like, hey, this is what's up. Yeah, he would have told you them. You can choose. Yeah. yeah. And but I they feel were, like the grandparents would have choose, chose to. But they were old at that point. Yeah. So, like, they very well could have died some point in between. Some point, and then what would have happened? Would he have gone to the Dursleys as, like, a seven-year-old? Oh, that would have been worse. Maybe, my, maybe he would have, like, lived with the Dursleys, but the Potters would have been, like, very much a part of his life. You I know? like he would the Dursleys spend, like, would allow that. Well, I don't think it would have been up to the Dursleys. But that would have meant wizards at their house every... But I think, I picture James's parents being very, like, Kind of like the mouth, not like a good version of the mouth, but it's like very like posh, mm. you know, like like very much muggle passing. Oh, like not like the Weasleys. Yeah, like they're not eccentric. Is basically what I yeah. picture. I picture them as like old, classy, like nice old people. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Just like rich, old, nice people. Yeah, I guess. Like, he would have gone and spent, like, every Sunday night dinner with them or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know the how much... I mean, that certainly would have made it better, having yeah. someone... But, like, living with the Dursleys And he would have just been so frustrated, like, why can't I live with you guys? You and know? he wouldn't have understand, understood that, obviously. No. But I think the key answer to that question is, like, Dumbledore had to give that... Had to let that magic live on. Um, and it was supposed to work until Harry's 17th birthday when he came of age... But did Dumbledore, like, transfer the magic? I would Lily's blood magic die. Or maybe it just, like, goes to his... To the nearest relation, like, at the... Her relation as they're, like, required to take care of him. And, like, as a 17-year-old, he's not required. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know for sure how the logistics of it works. All I know is that, like, that's what Dumbledore says. Has what happened to make it work. He has to call the Dursleys home. Yeah. That's, like, the big thing, that he has to, like, come home every break, even though he doesn't really do that, but, like, come home every summer. Like, that is his home base. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that's how it was. I know. It seems like Dumbledore could have found a way around that. Yeah. Okay, so one of our friends at Here's Johnny decided to ask us why 
Slytherin is the best house. <laughs> so I think we wanted to take this moment just to maybe clarify some of our Slytherin bashing in the past. Um, we don't by any means hate Slytherins and think Slytherins are bad people, but... Slytherins have to understand that, like, in the context of this series and in the context of the book, the way that J.K. Rowling wrote it is that Slytherins are the bad guys. And even more so than that, I think it's like, I don't have anything against Slytherins in real life. No. But I think that I am very justified in disliking the majority of the Slytherin characters that are portrayed to us. Yeah. So I can say far and away that it is the house that I have the least characters that I like in it. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, or at least like alluded to it, that basically J.K. Rowling had to do some major image rehab for Slytherin and for Hufflepuff, I think, as well leading up to the Pottermore coming out. Mm. Because once she was giving people the opportunity to be sorted in these houses, that she basically bashed the entire seven-book series that she wrote. And she realized that, like, fans were going to identify as Slytherins because I don't think many did before Pottermore came out. Yeah. If you did, let us know. I'd love to know. I'd be interested in that. Yeah, like... Yeah. Why did you feel like you were a Slytherin yeah. based on... The characters, because I don't think that you are like Crab and Goyle or Draco. Yeah, because I think with Slytherin, you really have to. You can't with the other houses. You can very much be like, oh, like that person is a Harry Gryffindor, mm-hmm. or that person is a Ron Gryffindor, like that person is a Huffle, like a Cedric Huffle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas in Slytherin, like you're not gonna be like, oh, you're a Lucius Slytherin, like you know what I mean. So you really can't compare yourselves to people in the houses if you feel like you're a Slytherin. You really have to think about the qualities that they portray, which they're not bad. Which qualities. I think I think they're great qualities. I yeah. think I really admire people with a lot of ambition, um, and I think it's important to be cunning, especially in the world that we lived in. Live mm-hmm. in. So like, I think that the qualities of Slytherin are great. I think it's just rather unfortunate that all Slytherins are portrayed as racist or not. Not necessarily all, but, like, the vast majority. Yeah, I mean, when you think about listing good Slytherins, your list is really limited to Regulus Black, who, like, probably isn't the best example because he was bad up until, like, two months before he died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he, like, worked with racist people and probably was a racist himself. Um, Andromeda Tonks, which... She's not a character in the series. We know nothing about her. Seems cool. Raised yeah. a great daughter, but... Like, I would say she's, like, not even, like, a tertiary character. Like, a quadrary She's character. in, like, one chapter. Yeah. She's mentioned, like... I could probably count the time she was mentioned on, like, two hands. And I think that her daughter is, like, a tertiary character. Like, yeah. Tonks love Tonks. A lot of people, it's her their favorite character. Nothing against Tonks. I think she's a great character, but, like... I wouldn't even put her as a secondary character because no. she's like not like secondary characters to me are like Neville not and Luna. Yeah, like, those the, are not the trio characters. is yeah, secondary characters, not the trio and not like Dumbledore and Snape and McGonagall and Hagrid and McGonagall and Voldemort. Yeah, like I would consider those like, like the, the rest of the Weasley and Ginny's. I think a primary character in the books, not the really. Movies. I would even well if we're considering Neville and Luna. 
Mm. A secondary character. I would consider Ginny a secondary character. Because for... Okay, maybe like five on. No, seven, she's not really in it. Five and six. Yeah, yeah I mean, she's definitely a bigger deal in five and six. But I still like... I, I just don't think she like is as... I don't know. I would still consider her a secondary They're character. They're like 1.5, I think. The rest yeah. of the, the silver trio. I guess the definition of the silver trio is not is, primary. Yeah. So... But, like, then, like, the rest of the Weasleys, or most of the rest of the Weasleys are yeah. secondary. I mean, there's, like, a wide range of secondary characters. Like, I think secondary characters would range from, like... I feel like I'd even consider Draco a secondary character, really. I think a lot of people would consider him, like, a main character. But in the end, he doesn't... I mean, I know that he has the whole thing with the plot in Six, but, like, in the grand scheme of things, I feel like his plot is not... Because, like, through one through five, like... Him being part of the plot is, like, to annoy Harry. Yeah. And to give them something to focus on in before you get to the big focus of the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, that was, yeah. like, really off topic. Um, what was the question? Oh, it's about growing Slytherin. up with the Dursleys. <laughs> no, it was about Slytherin. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, basically my point is, in all of the canon works that we have, i.e. not Kirk Child, <laughs> all Slytherins... <laughs> All Slytherins that we see are bad. And, like, I think a lot of people put Slughorn in the not bad Slytherin character. Or not bad Slytherin character, like, column. I would argue that if Slughorn were in any other house, he would be, like, one of the worst characters in that house. Yeah, if you think about, like, like Lockhart, I think, as one of the worst people in Ravenclaw. And I feel like he's kind of a similar character to Slughorn, where, like, he doesn't actively do anything terrible. I mean, Slughorn, like made a mistake and covers well, it up. I mean, I would argue Lock, that Lockhart, Lockhart does worse yeah. things, but That's yeah. True. But, like, during when we know him, yeah, it's like, they're, they're not, like, part of the Death Eaters, you know? Like, they're not, like, quote, a bad guy. It's more, like, gray gray yeah. area for them. But like kind of, like, a gross person. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. Slughorn's redeeming quality is that he's not a Death Eater. Yeah. But he was, like, complicit and didn't fight against them. Yeah, and also was, like, very slimy and skeezy and very much like self-absorbed you like i just like i don't think that oh he had a lot of qualities that i wouldn't consider good qualities you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i just like i don't think that slughorn is the best example like you were saying that the only reason that slughorn doesn't go in the very bad slytherin category is because he's not a death eater and like we don't see him actively bullying people yeah and he doesn't hate Muggleborns, basically. And, like, I think he's an example of a Slytherin that, like, I feel like people often... So, you kind of have two types of, like, your Slytherins in the books, where there's the Death Eaters. Like, they're just a Slytherin because they're a Death Eater, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, they're just tied together. Like, that's how we can group them into Slytherin House. Or there's, like, the Slytherins that actually show, like qualities of Slytherin house like ambition and cunning and sly yeah and true and shrewd but I think so I think Slughorn falls into that category but not in like the good ways that we can see other Slytherin like Slytherins in real life yeah. being like you know like I think it is good to be ambitious but like not how Slughorn is when he's ambitious by just like grabbing he's ambitious but lazy and grabbing at people's names yeah. and you know like associating himself with power yeah no I totally agree so basically the point of this is that 
if you identify as a Slytherin, I don't want you to feel attacked when we're like talking about how bad Slytherins are in the book because I believe that Slytherins in the book and Slytherins, like people who identify as Slytherin, are completely different categories yeah. of people. Like, unless you are an active, like, white supremacist Nazi and identify as a Slytherin, like, don't feel attacked when we talk about how much we don't like Slytherins. Also, like, that applies to other houses. Like, yeah. you as a Hufflepuff are not at, like, Hufflepuffs in the book where yeah. you're, like, portrayed, you know, like, you're not stupid or, like, Zachariah Smith, you know? Yeah. Like, you're just, like, I mean, I guess we don't know enough about other Hufflepuffs, like, yeah, like, Hannah Abbott and stuff who might have, like, qualities similar to you, but, like, just because you're a Hufflepuff doesn't mean that you're, like, either a Duffer or, like, Cedric or Tom's, yeah. you know, like... Even though I am like Cedric. Check my Myers-Briggs personality type. Okay. (laughs) So our next question comes from our other sister podcast, which is That's Not How Science Works, Caitlin and Nicole over there. And they give us a ton of questions (laughs) on Twitter, and we just kind of are combining them into one. So their first question was about jobs in the wizarding world. Um, Like, what is there to do as a profession besides... A, working at Hogwarts, B, working for the ministry, C, owning a shop, or D, being like new. Yeah. So from that, at first I was like, oh my god, there's no other professions. Like, that's literally all you can do. But the more we thought about it, like, they, we thought of professions that may not be, like, explicitly mentioned. But to me, it makes sense that if there is a history of magic class and there's history of magic textbooks, like, people have to be writing those textbooks, so people have to be, like, historians, basically. Mm -hmm. And I would, like, say the same thing for every other class at Hogwarts. Like, obviously, we just talked about how Harry's ancestry comes from, like, potion years. So, obviously, there's people who just... I don't know if these people work for the ministry or not, like, whether they're, like, in there. I would assume most of them don't. Like, I'm sure the ministry has some people who, like, look into different potions. Like, maybe in St. Mungo's, there's a unit of, like illness research kind of like Mm -hmm. related to potions and trying to come up with cures but obviously if the potters are making money off of it I would assume that they kind of did it on their own just people coming up with potions and then that leads into like another question that they asked is about how do how like our how spells are invented and how like new spells get created before we go on to that one though I just want to say like there are some other jobs like you can work for Gringotts like Bill works for Gringotts and he's a curse breaker so like he like goes into curse like vaults and stuff and breaks the curses to He's basically like an archaeologist. Yeah. Um and then like Charlie Weasley is kinda of, it's kinda of similar to what Newt does, but like he's a dragon trainer. Um and I think the ministry thing, like saying like, oh you can work for the ministry is different than saying in the muggle world, like, oh you can work for the government because yeah. the ministry is like so all encompassing in the wizarding world. Yeah. Like you got like your your games are in there. So like yeah. you can be a Quidditch player, but also like you can work for like the Quidditch League and that's under yeah. the ministry. You can work for St. Mungo's and that's under the ministry. Yeah. Like orders are like considered I guess like they're kind of like policeman detective type things, but like it's like you work at the ministry, like everything's centralized. Yeah. Also, working at the Daily Prophet, and mm-hmm. then like, the and that's Zeno ministry Phillip. as yeah. well. Well, not really, kind but of. technically, like kind of. They're but, associated. But, yeah. yeah. And then Xenophilius obviously like runs his own publication. Um, and another good example, going back to what I was saying, is like Pandora, uh, mm. Xenophilius's wife, who like Luna's mother, who died. She died, and basically like 
experimenting and, yeah, with a spell. Yeah, an accident where a spell backfired or she was experimenting with a new spell and it went wrong. So obviously people, there are examples of people kind of creating their new their own spells, like then again with Snape in the Half-Blood Prince um, with his potions book having Levicorpus? No. Was that his? No. Sectum Sempra was like his own Levicorpus he had written down. Yeah. But it's unclear it's if whether he, he invented, invented it that. Or not. I think he yeah. might have. I think he might have as well. Like I think it's heavily implied that he might have also. Because like that James one. uses it against or Sirius, I forget which one casts. Yeah, it. well, because Lupin says something like, "Oh, that was like very in." Yeah. At that time, like you, there was a time at Hogwarts where like you couldn't walk down the hallway without like getting hoisted up by your ankles or something. Um, but yeah, so. People do research, on, like, on their own, and then obviously I think we kind of alluded to this. I don't know if we, like, explicitly said this, but in the Department of Mysteries, I think there's also people that... Doing research. Yeah, like, experiment <laughs> with stuff. So, I mean, I would think of it kind of like a science. I think they, like, approach it like a science. Like, there's experiments, kind of like potions as well. Yeah, and I think it's experimentation with... I'm wondering if it's more like all of this magic exists and like mm, inventing spells is kind it. of like unlocking it. Yeah. Or like you can literally invent like how to do it and like it's like it gets into a bigger question of like how magic works. Whether you can like mold it to do exactly what you want or whether like magic has always had these capabilities. It's just like people figuring out how to use it. Yeah. And how to like fine tune it. Yeah, and then, like, the last kind of question they asked, and um, another person actually asked about this as well, but it was about um, kind of higher-level education, and Audrey and I, I think, are both kind of on the same page that we think that it's more like there's just job training, like, maybe to be a St. Mungo's doctor or nurse or what, healer, I guess they call it, um... Because obviously at Hogwarts, there's no class for healing, but I think healing is a lot of potions and a lot of charms. So maybe like your OWLs or your NEWTs, you just have to have higher scores on those things. And then you like enroll to be a healer and then you have two more years of like learning more specific healing stuff. Like on the job at St. Mungo's. Yeah, because like we hear about aura training from Tom's, mm-hmm. how like she was really good at like disguise and stealth I think because mm-hmm. like obviously she's a metamorph Magus and then she talked about like not being good oh maybe she was good at disguise but bad at stealth because she's like super clumsy yeah. and she always like talked about how she was bad at that um so and obviously she talks like, about how Moody like took her under her yeah her, her under, under his, his wing. wing yeah um so obviously like there's an example of training on the job and I would assume that most of it is kind of just like that like maybe you know how we we talked about McGonagall having a job right out of Hogwarts I wonder if kind of like the first year of your job is just basically an internship Mm. where you're just kind of learning still yeah Yeah, that's my guess yeah I think and, and I think there are some jobs that you can like go into without like this sort of specific training like or and healers and stuff like that yeah um going into like say working for the um care of magical creatures office you know like depending on what you're doing on the job yeah like certain stuff in the ministry i feel like that's maybe just like yeah. Maybe that's not the best example, but, like, desk work type stuff in the yeah. ministry you can certainly do, like, with a Hogwarts Yeah, or, like, education. if you just work at, like, Florian Fortescue scoop and ice cream. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know if he had any employees. I just made I don't think up. you have to scoop the ice cream because you have a wand. Well, make the ice cream get scooped. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Wow, like hard labor jobs in the Wizarding World are so much easier. <laughs> yeah, just like basically asking him. Yeah. Or um, Guardian Leviosa, just like pick things up. Yeah, exactly. Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. All right, we are back from our intermission. We want to make some more drinks and drum roll. What are we drinking? Butterbeer. (laughs) And if you want to see our outcome, our butterbeer, you can watch the vlog that is going to be coming out for this weekend. I mean, the weekend hasn't... I haven't recorded much because we haven't gone to LeakyCon yet, so I don't know when it's going to be out, but it will be out at some point. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that if you want to see some behind-the-scenes stuff from our crazy fun weekend. And the butterbeer is this recipe that we've had, and we make it with cream soda, vodka. can be whipped cream vodka, but we wanted to buy vodka for our Cosmos and not by both yeah um and butterscotch schnapps that's all and then on top we put whipped cream cream, yeah so super easy to make you can put it whenever portions you want yeah and i'm sure you could find a non-alcoholic recipe where you just do like oh yeah cream soda and some sort of butterscotch um yeah i think i think i made butterbeer once with like actual (coughs) butter oh really yeah like, I think we, like, blended up and did, like, like a slushy kind of, but it had butter in it. Oh, like a frozen butter beer. Yeah, mm. which I know this is, like, kind of a controversial opinion, but I like frozen butter beer the best. I think, like, some people are delusional and want hot butter beer, um, and, like, hot butter beer is the best, or, like, the just not frozen butter beer. I wouldn't know, because I've only been to the studio tour where they only have just, like, cold liquid butter beer. Yeah. I've not been to Universal where they have all the different types. Do they have all the different types year round? No, hot butter beer is only over the winter. Is frozen only over the summer? I don't know. I've actually to be fair, I just like took a very hard stance against hot butter beer. <laughs> I've never had hot butter beer before. <laughs> um, but frozen butter beer is so good and like I'm not the biggest fan of hot drinks. Like I normally drink my hot drinks lukewarm anyways. Um, that's a controversial opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, fight me. 
Um, we will. <laughs> okay, we're trying to change the fact that Audrey's never been to Universal. Maybe, maybe spring break 2020. Spring break 2020, we'll post-grad we'll 2020. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the questions, <laughs> our next question is from our lovely listener slash question asker, Lisa. She tweeted us. Her question is, is Voldemort still alive? Could he have accidentally created an eighth horcrux the night he killed Lily and James Potter? The Potters had a cat, as mentioned in Lily's letter to Sirius. Could he have made the cat one? All right. So I think this presumes that he would accidentally make two horcruxes in one night. That, I feel like, is very unlikely. Because I think that the circumstances that required him to make Harry into, like, a quote-unquote horcrux, more on that for why Harry might not actually be a real horcrux in our next episode, which is with Here's Johnny about horcruxes. So, like, it seems unlikely that he would make two also, we know that Voldemort was not able to possess, like, normal, non-magical animals for a long period of time. I mean, okay, granted, the cat could have been, like, part Neasel, like Crookshanks is. To be fair, that has been debunked, that Crookshanks is not the cat. Right. Not saying that the cat can't be part Neasel, but it is not Crookshanks. Exactly. But it could have been somehow a magical cat in some way. Um... But presuming that it's just a average cat, I think most cats in the wizarding world are just average Correct, cats. Yeah. Um, that he wouldn't have been able to possess that cat for that long. His part of the soul, because um, if you think about it, like the part of the soul that was in the forest in Albania was not able to possess animals for that long, besides Nikini. Yeah. Um. So I think to me it seems unlikely because he would have had to move to other animals, kind of like his soul was doing in Albania, and it seems like they would have, like, joined up or, like, yeah, some like, sort of, there would have been some sort of, like, consciousness with him, right? Yeah, I also don't know how much autonomy, like, a Horcrux has. Like, I think that it probably would would have just killed the host, mm-hmm. and then I don't know what would have happened past that. Like, I don't think it could have survived. Well, wouldn't the same thing have happened that happened to the remaining bit of his soul? Like, that was... The one the that went to Albania? Albania. Yeah. I think yes, but obviously that was the one that, like, Voldemort reverted to. Yeah. So, like, I think there was more autonomy in that one. Because, yes, like, obviously each of them is a part of Voldemort's soul, but Voldemort isn't possessing all of them all the time, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. Voldemort had to use that one, and so that's why, like, his consciousness was Mm. there, I think. Um, Also, I think we have evidence that... Voldemort, like in plat in the platform nine and three quarters in the King's Cross chapter in Deathly Hallows, Voldemort is there and like is not fully human. Mm-hmm. So I think to me that is evidence that like he is out of Horcruxes, you and know, and particularly the way that it unfolds in the books, not the movies, where yeah. his body is um, like he becomes he's a mortal man. He ages. He's just like a dead body mm-hmm. um is so important because that's not what happens that's not what happens the harry, first time that yeah. harry defeats him quote mm-hmm. unquote when so James died. like <laughs> the fact that his body is there makes me think that there's no there's no horses left there's no way of him coming back because mm-hmm. i think if if something have happened like say they hadn't killed nagini and that 
duel with Harry happened, I think that the same thing would have happened as it did the... Like, his consciousness would have just gone to the Horcrux inside Nagini. <coughs> right. And then and he like, would have had to redo the potion to, like, get his old body back. And I think that they never, like, in the Potter's house, they never found a body, right? No, they never so. did. Because that's, like, part of the speculation of why people thought that he probably wasn't gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question because, like, the wording that I Dumbledore does use, I believe, is something like, you were the last living thing in the house, so it attached, like, the piece of Voldemort's soul attached it attach itself to the only living thing left in the house. So I understand why it's a little bit confusing, but I think that from the information we're given, it would be highly unlikely, and I think that he's probably just dead. So I just wanted to read that little, I actually have Deathly Hallows open right next to me near the end. So I'm going to read that little thing with him, the finality of his death. It says Tom Riddle, uh, Tom Riddle hit the floor with a mundane finality, his body feeble and shrunken, the white hands empty, the snake-like face vacant and unknowing. Baltimore was dead, killed by his own rebounding curse. And Harry stood with two wands in his hand, staring down at his enemy's shell. So like... The wording there just makes it seem so done. At that point, he's it switches back. The narrator switches back to using Tom Riddle and not um, Voldemort. You know, like, he's no longer this kind of, like, not human being with multiple mm-hmm. souls. Like, he's Tom Riddle. He has He ages in that moment and, like, shrinks and becomes just, like, a human being mm-hmm. that has died. Yeah. Um, I think it is a cool speculation yeah. that, like, maybe this whole thing happened all over again. Yeah. Um, but I think that that particular sentence, like, kind of debunks that theory. Yeah. Also, if you count Kershaw as canon. Yes. I was going to say that. I was thinking that earlier. <laughs> I was like, if we think Kershaw is canon, which, I don't know, I'm of the opinion that if JK says it is, I guess we should count it as being canon. Katie, of course, is not. But that also just shows that, like... While there are other ways that he could come back, it's not because he's still alive in some way. Yeah. And obviously not saying that Voldemort is the only person in the wizarding world that could ever be evil. Because, like, more evil dark lords could come about after the defeat of Voldemort. Like, the defeat of Voldemort does not guarantee the defeat of evil. Exactly. So, thank you for your question. It was fun to talk about for a little bit. Uh, next is a series of questions from my sister. Thank you for sending these in, Rebecca. She sent us two different emails. So the first one is, like, I think a pretty short answer, and I think she answers it in the question, but I think it's something interesting to think about. Um, so this was after our ministry episode came out. She said that we mentioned that the prime minister is elected democratically. We talked a little bit about this. I think that we don't really know how democratically. We don't know if it's like a popular vote. We don't know whether like you elect Wizengamot members and then the Wizengamot votes. Um, again, we don't have the specifics, but it is, it does say democratically. So the populace has some sort of say in who is the prime minister. Um, and then she asked, how does voting work? How old do you have to be to vote? Is there voter suppression, like, with Muggleborn or, <coughs> or half-breeds, like Hagrid, which you kind of talked a little bit earlier, quote-unquote half-breeds. Sorry, I'm not, like, using that as a derogatory term. Um, and then, is the Minister of Magic the only elected official? So I would guess that 17 is probably the answer to the how old you have to be, because that's obviously, like, the when you come of age mm-hmm. in the wizarding world. 
I think that it's most likely that the Prime Minister is elected by the Wizengamot, just because I think if we think about, like, the, like, hierarchical structures in the worsening world as well, and it's, like, feels European to do it that way, um, to have, like, the parliamentary body elect the Prime Minister. Um, of course, we never, like, see this because there's no elections that happen during the series. Yeah, I guess we also Because it's, like, an emergency. I think we do know. I think there's seven years. Oh. Um, every seven years, there has to be an election held. Mm. Um, but there's no, like, emergency... Like, it's, like, an emergency during the Wizarding World, so they're... During the series, so, like, they are assigned. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know. Do we think the Wizengamot is elected? Well, I guess if we're saying that the Wizengamot if they're the ones who, like, vote for the Prime Minister, for it to be considered democratic, I feel like then, like, you would have to elect the Wizengamot members. You know, I feel like that would just make sense because if the Wizengamot is the one voting for Prime Minister and the people have no say in who is in the Wizengamot, that doesn't feel democratic. That seems like an aristocracy, is that yeah. what it's called? Like, yeah. rule by the few rich people. Yeah. Um, but then again, like... How did Umbridge get That's what I was going to say. Like, she was undersecretary to the minister. Oh, so I guess she, like, technically I think she was kind of... Was she a voting member of the Wizengamot? I mean, I think she votes. Yeah. So maybe, but, like, maybe being senior undersecretary is, like, being a part of, like, the president's cabinet. Like, appointed. Yeah, and it's appointed, and then that just, like, makes you a part of, like, the governmental body of the Wizengamot. Mm. Um, So, like, in a roundabout way, I guess the people would kind of have a say in under who was seat in who was senior undersecretary because, like, you're voting for the Wizengamot members who vote for the prime minister who, like, appoints. Like, yeah. it's kind of just saying, like, how we have a say in, like, Supreme Court nominations, which yeah. like, we don't really, but, like, kind of indirectly. We vote for the people that nominate them yeah. and also the people that confirm them, so. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it'd be kind of similar to that. Um, but, I like, I feel like it's probably voted for Wizengamot members. I, again, we don't have, like, any reference um, yeah anything to like support that but like that's what my feeling is and obviously we don't know how many times elections happen obviously an election doesn't happen after harry's 17 from what we see in the series because mm. that's just book seven and he's a fugitive anyway so he probably wouldn't have shown up to uh and there's they poll. say that um scrimjar was just appointed yeah yeah so i don't know like that would be my best guess and then my other best guess is that there probably is voter suppression. I would, again, it probably depends on who's in power at the time, like how it works. Yeah. But I would say that probably there's some, there, if there ever was a vote to allow Muggleborns to vote, I'm sure that was a very like contentious vote. Yeah. And then again, with like werewolves and mm-hmm. with half giants. Yeah. You know, like, where do they fall? And I'm sure they don't fall on a favorable side. Yeah. So the next question my sister had was, how does the Ministry of Magic make laws? Um, so we actually Googled this because we weren't 100% sure and we didn't want to say anything that was incorrect. But Audrey found it. Yeah, it says, so on the wiki, which you never know with the wiki, Yeah. Um, it says that the Wizengamont is both parliamentary and a court so like that would imply imply that they are they make the laws and then they also try people for breaking the laws which seems like 
a little bit of a conflict of interest. And, like, like a high concentration of power. That me- might be, like, a very American perspective of us to be saying that, because we're all about those checks and balances in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that kind of seems like the case is that the Wizengamot also makes the laws. Um, and I'm sure that the Minister of Magic can kind of, like, create laws on his own, either by, like, Pushing them through. Pushing the Wizengamont. Pushing them through the Wizengamont. Or maybe there's even, like, a way that he can do it on his own. Yeah. I wonder if any of this is supposed to be taught in, like, history of magic. I feel like that would be the only <laughs> class where, like... Because, like, I mean, I took, like, civics and economics, and that was, like, my history, like, my social yeah. science. Um, is that what they're called? Social, social studies? studies? <laughs> Wow, it's social long, sciences is different. It's been a long time since I've been in high school, guys. <laughs> um, not really that long, but it feels really long. Um, so I don't know. I wonder if like they are supposed to learn about that in history of magic, and like whether Professor Benz is just a terrible teacher or Harry just doesn't listen. That's why we don't get that information. Everybody or, sleeps through it. Yeah. So I would le- like I said, I think history of magic would be the class I would most want to take. Just not with Professor Binns as a teacher. You're so out of the ordinary. I'm so quirky. What can I say? <laughs> um, so the last question for my sister is about the size of the population of the wizarding world. Um, and kind of what is our best guess about the size? Because it's very ambiguous what the size <coughs> is. Because I think we've talked about this before. But if we're running on the notion that... There are four males and four females in five. every... Yeah, sorry. They're, if we're running on the fact that there are around five males and five females in every house at Hogwarts, that means there's only 40 children... Per year. Per year. So, I mean, that is a very small population. That's like... Mm, I'm trying to think of like a school... I know, like a public school that has... 40 kids per year in it. I don't even know. I mean, that was like about... Like, 2,000 people? Maybe? Well, no, it'd just be 40 times 4. What? No, 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 no. Population of the town that created that oh. school. I'm saying, like, maybe that's mm-hmm. around, like, a town of 2,000 people, maybe less. Yeah, I mean, like, we're talking pretty small populations here, because... Across all of Britain. Yeah, and this is, like... Like you said, across all Britain, like, Seamus is from Ireland, so we're assuming Ireland, yeah. and, like, Hogwarts is in Scotland, so it's <coughs> Scottish kids, and it's English kids. So, I mean, from that, the population is really, really small, but there has been some speculation. I don't know if JK has addressed this directly, but people have said that Harry's year and, like, that generation is smaller because they're children of war. Oh. Um, so, like, I mean, both of Harry's parents died at age 21. So if they hadn't had a kid before they were 21, like, they wouldn't... You know what I mean? <laughs> there were just mm-hmm. less people to have kids. Um, so that's been a big speculation that previously years at Hogwarts have been bigger and that's part of the justification for the castle being as big as it is and like there being as many rooms and stuff as there are. 
That's really interesting. I had not, like, heard that theory. I never really thought about it. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense because I feel like they're always talking about, like, empty rooms. Yeah. And, like, there aren't that many... Again, there are 142 staircases. Yeah. In a class for whatever 40 times 7 is. Yeah. Like... Yeah, 280. Yeah. Um... That's almost a staircase per student. Yeah. And that's super... I feel like this even gets back to, like, what we were talking about on the the McGonagall episode where McGonagall was hired as a teacher in the Transfiguration Mm, Department. Yeah. So maybe there used to be so many students that they had to teach... They had to have multiple teachers per subject. Yeah. But now, since they're... Or in Harry's years... Since yeah. there was so many deaths in the war, that could be the cause of, like, there's not as many kids, they don't need as many teachers. Yeah, and then obviously, so we know the sacred 40, right? It's 40? Yeah, uh, 48. 28. 28, I was gonna say. It's the original 40, the sacred yeah. 28. Oh, okay, so the sacred 28, so those are, like, the 28 oldest families. Pure blood. Yeah, um, so obviously the wizarding population has grown in size because obviously people marry people of like muggle yeah and there's like muggle-borns and yeah stuff. so like the i would say that like the trend of the wizarding population was was going up before the first war maybe yeah maybe it got knocked back down a little bit yeah and then again in the second war so yeah also Wonder. i would just love a blueprint of hogwarts and i know jk said like we can't give a blueprint of hogwarts because it changes all the time it's a living thing like you could give me, like, at a moment in time, the blueprint of Hogwarts. Yeah. Please and thank you. Exactly. So, the final question is, in regards to the Deadly Hallows, it comes from, like, we're combining a few questions. Um, from, one, my girlfriend Sophie, to Nicole from That's Not How Science Works. They ask questions related to, like, the Deathly Hallows being flawed, um... Like, why Moody can see through Harry's cloak, it seems like. Or why the reason that Harry, like, comes back to life is not just because he's the master of death. Like, i.e. has all the Deathly Hallows. Um, so, like, we're just going to turn this into a discussion about, like, why the Deathly Hallows are flawed. Um, or if they're flawed, what's the issue with that? Yeah, so... Overall, I think the easiest two to talk about are the Elder Wand and the Resurrection Stone in regards to them being fallible. First off, we know that people who own the Elder Wand die. So it's not like... It is... The wording of the Elder Wand is basically like it's an unbeatable wand. But if you're not using your wand, you can still be died. You can still be died. Okay, because we see the first brother get like his throat killed slit. Is the yeah, word you're looking for. Yes. Um. So like you can be killed. You just like technically aren't supposed to be using the wand at the time that you die. But obviously, we see Voldemort using the wand. Also, Grindelwald gets defeated yeah. With the also, wand. Grindelwald was supposedly in possession of this wand during the duel with Dumbledore. And we all know how that duel ended. So there's some gray area there. And from what we know, every person who's ever possessed the Elder Wand has died. And for most of the, like, I feel like for a good portion of the people, you can say that they 
died because they owned the Elder Wand. Like, the first brother was killed for his wand. Mm-hmm. Gorvich was killed for the wand. Grindelwald didn't die. He he died. But not because of the wand. No, just... Voldemort still killed, right? Oh, yeah. Did Voldemort kill him? Yeah. Okay. I'm getting Grindelwald and Grigorovich mixed up. <coughs> Voldemort killed Grigorovich. Yeah. I think he killed I Grindelwald, think. too, because, like, Grigorovich is the one who leads him to Grindelwald. Yeah. Because he was, like, he came in, like, at least in the movies, he's, like, he came in the window. Yeah. And then, like, we see Jamie Campbell Bauer. Yeah. And then we see him go to prison. Yeah. And kill him. So both of them got killed because they possessed the Elder One because Voldemort was, like, killing everybody yeah, who had possessed yeah. it to try and get the possession of it. Um, Harry is really the only example we see. Draco. Yeah. But neither of them knew that they were possessed. And neither of them possession. even, neither of them had ever used neither the wand. Neither of them used it. Harry used it once to, like, fix his own wand, which, and he, like, snapped right afterwards. Dumbledore doesn't die because he possesses it. True. He dies, you could argue. But he still dies. In pursuit of the Deathly Hallows, though. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. because of his pursuit, you know, like, he would have died from the potion. Yeah. But, like, obviously, me saying that everybody who owns it dies, like, isn't a huge thing because everybody dies. Mm-hmm. I hate to break it to you, but everybody who owns something is at one point going to die. <laughs> um, but, like, with the Resurrection Stone as well, everybody, we see two people kind of, we see three people use it. We see the second brother use it, who, not instantly, but I would say, like, pretty soon after coming into contact with it, kills himself. Mm-hmm. We see Voldemort basically start to die because of the Resurrection Stone. I mean, like, technically it was because of the Horcrux, but it was because Voldemort? he won. Dumbledore. Oh, did I say Voldemort? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I meant Dumbledore. We see Dumbledore basically, like, start to die the moment he uses the Resurrection mm. Stone or tries to use Does it. Does he ever use it? I don't know. It's, like, very ambiguous. It doesn't say. Because he says, like, he tries to use it. Yeah. Like, that was the point of him putting it on. Yeah. So I don't know if, like, the Horcrux had, like, taken over and, like, instantly, like, caused searing pain and he had to take it off or whether he ever got to use it. But either way, he was in possession of it and basically instantly died the moment, or, like, instantly started the process of death the moment he touched it. And then Harry uses it and, again, pretty much instantaneously dies or Mm -hmm. gets killed. We know that he comes back, but... He pretty much dies. So there's a theory out there stating that the Resurrection Zone and the Elder Wand don't actually make you more invincible to death. It makes you more susceptible to death. That both of those things were created by death as kind of tricks to the first and second brother to get them to die, to join the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a question of whether the res- you get to choose who you see in the Resurrection Zone or the Resurrection Zone shows you who's most likely to convince you to die, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see Harry talk to his parents and Sirius, and they're basically like, you can do this. You can die. Like, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that kind of motivates him to go and walk to his death. And then... With the second brother, we see him just longing after this woman and seeing her. It just makes it so much worse. And then he kills himself. Mm-hmm. So there's a theory that at least the first two Horcrux or first two Deathly Hallows 
were created by death as basically a trick. And, like, that kind of fits the moral of the story, that the third brother was really the only smart one. Yeah. So, that just proves that only them probably won't save you from death. And that, so, Dumbledore mentions, so we read this, like, entire chapter, (laughs) or I kind of did and read pieces of it to Katie, but Dumbledore mentions in the King's Cross chapter in Deathly Hallows, he says, um, let me just find where the quote starts... He's talking about why each of the Deathly Hallows was appealing to him and Grindelwald as kids. And he says, for the legend said that the man... So he says that the cloak... He gives the reasons that they wanted the Elder Wand for the power. They wanted the Resurrection Stone. Um, or he wanted he the wanted it. Stone. He wanted the Resurrection Stone to see his parents. And Grindelwald wanted it for an army of Inferi. Yeah. And... Then the cloak, he's like, oh, we didn't we didn't discuss it that much. I thought maybe we could use it to hide Ariana. And then he says, but our interest in the cloak was mainly that it completed the trio. For the legend said that the man who united all three objects would then be truly master of death, which we took to mean invincible. And then he goes on to be like, invincible, yeah, like invincible masters of death, sure. Like, you know what happened to us. Like, it didn't work out. Yeah. Um. So it kind of implies, Dumbledore, it's, it seems like to me, it's kind of implying that it doesn't actually make you invincible. Um. There's a quote later in the chapter. So, yeah, the thing about Harry. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like <clears throat> it doesn't actually make you invincible. It might... Just be like, that's what the legend is. Mm-hmm. And that it's kind of taken on that meaning. Um, there's a quote later in the chapter where, well, he, Dumbledore is saying that he was unworthy to unite all of the Deathly Hallows and that maybe a man in a million could do it. Um, and then he says, um, in like kind of putting Harry on this quest for the Hallows a little bit, along with the Horcruxes, um, Harry asks, why did you make it so difficult? And Dumbledore says, I'm afraid I counted on Miss Granger to slow you up, Harry. I was afraid that your hot head might, do- hot head might dominate your good heart. Wow, that's such a Gryffindor sentence. <laughs> um, I was scared that if presented outright with the facts about those tempting objects, you might seize the hallows as I did, at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. If you laid hands on them, I wanted you to possess them safely. You are the true master of death. Because the true master does not seek to run away from death. He accepts that he must die and understands that there are far, far worse things in the living world than dying. So that, I think, is crucial to our interpretation of the Hallows, where Dumbledore is straight up saying, like, the true master of death is not running from death and is not, he doesn't say the true master of death is invincible. He says the true master of death accepts that he must die. So mm-hmm. that means if the, he must die, that means he's not, not invincible, invincible like, or, or immortal, yeah. at least. Like maybe invincible, but not immortal. And because Harry was the master of death, he possessed all of house and he accepted that he died. He w- had to die. Mm-hmm. It just means, I think... Potentially, that is what allowed him to come back. Like, you could make that argument, but I really just think it being the master of death means that you have no fear of it. And I think possessing those three objects allows you to not have fear of it. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that that definition of master of death is, like, directly in contrast to the third brother in the cloak. Because it says, like, 
the master of death does not hide from death and that's literally what the third brother does and my interpretation kind of going back to what i was saying earlier about how the first two hallows kind of lead you to death i think that the third hallow leads you to live a life like a, a full a life. lifeless life basically oh. no like it leads you to live your whole life in fear like just hiding your whole life because they talk about how, like, he had the cloak with him and, like, basically he he hid from death wherever he went. He was just, like, constantly hiding from death. And so, like, worrying about that all the time, I think, like, causes you to live this, like, half-life yeah. where you're constantly worried and on guard about death. So I think it's crucial that you have all the components of, like, you have the ability to hide from death. You have the ability to be invincible. You have the ability to, like, contact the people on the other side. And you choose to still, like not let any of those things go to your head and be like death is just the next great adventure yeah and i'm going to use these objects for what they are like harry uses them to like make his life better right but he doesn't use them to evade i mean he can use them to evade death but not like for the sole purpose of that yeah no i would agree i think all of them kind of have this caveat kind of like any tale does like there's never ever like a fix all easy solution to any problem in any fable in any story that you hear you know like there's always a moral there's always symbolism and so obviously these things are based it's kind of like when it when you go to like a movie and you watch this like great fantastical movie and it's like based on a true story it's like how true is this based you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's like a children's story that's based on real events it's like it's a story that's based on real events. Like, we can't take everything in this story as gospel, as, like, fact. There's a lot of interpretations that, like, these brothers were just, like, really smart. And they created their own, their own things. They didn't actually meet death mm-hmm. on a road. Dumbledore you know? actually says that in the same chapter. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that the Hallows are greatly misinterpreted. And I have a really big problem with the Hallows kind of becoming this very big harry potter symbol and like pop culture because i think they're kind of inconsequential to the series as a Mm. whole i don't know that's just like a pet peeve of mine of like like i wish the last book was not called the deathly hallows like i don't think that's a very good title for it because i don't Mm. think the book is about the deathly hallows you know what i mean like do you get what i'm saying i think it's it would be it would be like calling the fourth book like the Triwiz or the Triwizard Tournament or not the tri- the like Quidditch World Cup mm. like Harry Potter and the Quidditch World Cup you know like it's something that happens and like it's a big part of the plot like they go and that's where like the Death Eaters like rise and like stuff happens there but it's not like yeah the moral of this book I don't know I don't I think it does have a bigger play than that because I think in the end Harry does use the hallows to defeat Voldemort and like we see him use all of the hallows in the lead up to defeating Voldemort and the it is important that the elder wand I know there you have theories slash super Harlan Brooks (laughs) theories about (coughs) the elder wand not being um actually following the path that Harry lays out in the duel with Voldemort but the way it's presented us to us in the book like Harry comes back to life because he was a horcrux and then he is able to defeat Voldemort. I would argue that Horcrux is a better title. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it's just, like, really hard for me to wrap my head around, like, the Deathly Hallows symbol being, like, such a 
iconic symbol of this series when it's something that we don't even hear about or see anything or like know what it is <laughs> till halfway through the seventh book yeah. in the series. You know what I mean? As a symbol for the whole series, I agree. As the last book title, I don't really have an issue with it because I think that it is, it is a big part and like they're talking about it a lot and you don't know what they are. Yeah. And like that's kind of like, like you don't know what the who Simulans, the half-blooded prince yeah. is and stuff like that so like i don't know and i i don't think there's that much weight to be put in the book titles true in regards to the deathly hallows being like a fable i think that one of the things that's really important to remember is that jk says in the intro to beetle the bard that like the whole point of beetle the bard or not the whole point but one of the broad m- morals of like all of those stories combined is that magic creates just as many problems mm. as like it solves. it solves and i was actually um saw like a quote from her in an interview recently on the internet that was saying like that's part of the big issue with like harry coming into the wizarding world is that he believes that he's entering a world that's like a utopia where magic mm-hmm. saves everything and then he like has to grapple with the fact that like it causes just as many problems as it solves. Well, yeah, like, it's basically, like, that quote in the beginning of Half-Blood Prince with the, like, the minister chapter, where, like, the muggle prime minister is, like, so confused. Mm -hmm. He's like, but you guys can do magic. Mm -hmm. And Fudge is literally like, yes, minister, but, like, the problem is the other side can do magic, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that quintessential, like... And so I think with the Hallows, we have to remember that we shouldn't expect them to be perfect because the very like fact that they're especially that they're included in these beetle the bard tales is that like shows that they are there are going to be just as many problems from creating these magical devices mm-hmm. as there are like solutions that they solve so like yeah the elder one can defeat anyone you want but there's all these stipulations because like there's other magic out there that can act against it yeah, the resurrection stone can, like, bring back the dead, but not really, because, like, there are laws within magic, like, magic can't raise the dead. Yeah. Yeah, the, the cloak, it can supposedly, like, be invisible to any outside force, but, like I said, there's other magic out there, and, like, we, it's only said in the context of like what people believe and in the context of the story that all these things are like invincible or like the cloak is like the perfect object and Mm -hmm. i think it's just a bit naive for us to accept that without questioning the origin of that story yeah and not only that but like literally (coughs) i would say that the theme of magic being good and bad and having downsides and upsides is not just a theme in beetle the bar like it's a theme throughout the entire hair product series that's so like to not extend that to everything and to not question everything like you were saying is like not it's like you said like just being naive it's like what that this is getting back to what i was maybe didn't fully say about the jk quote it's like she was saying that the wizarding world is just a reflection of the muggle world and like she wrote it that way for a reason like there's the like whole bloodlines and hierarchy of bloodlines to mirror racism Mm -hmm. like there's the stuff like um like against half-breeds and werewolves and stuff to mirror like the lycanthropy has been made as a direct correlation to hiv AIDS, yeah or like even xenophobia like xenophobia exactly outsiders um so it's all very like it's just a reflection of our world and like 
while the things that we create are not perfect and cause problems, like, so are the things that magic can create. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think that got deep. (laughs) (laughs) You can go find our episodes every other Tuesday, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of the above in your podcast listening apps. And make sure to leave us a review. Um, I know we just, like, collected all these questions from listeners, but you can totally send us more questions. um, And we're happy to, like, email back and forth with you or, like, include them as pop quiz questions because we have to do pop quiz questions as, like, our opinions, but they could totally be, what do you think about this specific And if you want to send us a pop quiz question, it would be great if you could answer it as well. Kind of, like, get in some listener interaction. Like, hear your opinion as well. Um, (laughs) You can find us on social media at Wizard Studies on Twitter and then Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And then you can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. And we just got a facebook message from a listener in germany thank you so much for that message it made our day and thank you for the episode idea we'll definitely have to look into that i don't have your name pulled up at the moment but you know who you are and we really appreciate you yeah thanks so much it's always (laughs) nice to hear from y'all as always thank you so much for listening and remember just do your best we'll do the rest and learn until our brains all rot